realize how messy my bed is in that intro video. <laughs> on everybody, all baseball fans, welcome to season two, episode thirteen of This Week in Baseball, presented by Diamond Digest. I'm your host Jordan Lazowski, James Archeski, Stephen Pappas, Kelly Sai will all be joining me today as we talk about a short week of baseball, but still plenty of different insights from it, different uh, highlights and things going on. So, plenty to talk about today. Steven, since you haven't been on before, I guess we'll start with a quick intro for you. Uh, tell the fans a little bit about yourself. You're a fairly new writer for us, but a fairly popular Twitter personality. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I've uh, been on Twitter for a while, but um, yeah, no, uh, big Cubs guy. Um, been writing. Yeah, I've been writing for Diamond Dragons for, I'd say, about three months or so. Um, before that, had my own and then uh, and was on uh, Max's Sporting Studio. It was run by Max Goldstein, who some of you guys may know. Um but yeah, no, and uh, big into big into stats, I guess. I, mean, I don't know. There's not much to say. It's related. It's able to be related to this, uh, related to this show. But I think that's I think that's good enough. Uh, you know, follow me. You know where the where the ad is on the description. But yeah, that is pretty much it. And um, two fair warnings: the mirrored camera is gonna mess me up. I'm gonna be moving my hat a lot. I'm gonna be putting my headphones back in because these AirPods Pro have not been very nice to my ears. <laughs> so you're gonna see that a lot. So that's it. Yeah. Well, so, uh, thanks, welcome. Of course. Welcome, James, Callie. Welcome back, Callie. I feel like it's been a while, but glad to have yeah. you back. We've got plenty to talk about today. We'll do our usual standings updates uh, around the league in 60 seconds. All of these fine folks will give me their weekly recap of really just a week weekend's worth of games. Um, we'll talk some all-star break and some um, weekend news highlights and seventh-inning stretch. And with what to watch for this week in our first full week back um, in the second half. And then we'll wrap it up and head out. So let's not waste any time. But we, before we get into the standings update, I do want to throw a quick thing in here. I, I believe all three panelists will talk about this as well. Um, very scary incident last night, Saturday night in, um, in Washington uh, is shooting outside Nationals Park. Um, I, I don't want to steal too much of the thunder away from each of our panelists. I know that there were some real heroes in this situation uh, that deserve to be recognized and, and called out. Um, but wanted to throw my two cents in there about, you know, it's a scary situation. It's a sad situation. That's something we have to go through. But it's always nice to come out on the other side and see the heroes. Um, some familiar faces, some not so familiar faces, people stepping into roles you wouldn't anticipate having to uh, when you show up to the ballpark that day. Uh, so always appreciate the heroes that come out of such terrible situations. Um, before we head into around the league in 60 seconds, I do want to give the standings update and then turn it over to our uh, panel here. And, and you don't have to listen to me talk anymore. So if the season ended today, here's what the standings and the playoffs would look like. The Boston Red Sox lead the AL East. The Chicago White Sox lead the AL Central. And the Houston Astros lead the AL West. Your two wildcard teams out there, the Tampa Bay Rays and Cali's Oakland Athletics. In the National League, the New York Mets still barely sit atop the NL East. The Milwaukee Brewers have gone from a third-place team to a seven-game lead in the NL Central. And those pesky San Francisco Giants sit at the top of the NL West. Your two wildcard teams out there, the Dodgers and the Padres. So not a ton of movement week to week anymore. Um, the, the Giants continue to be the talk of the town, and 
teams start to open up bigger leads. Now we talked about the Cubs for quite a while and the NL Central. Now it's the Brewers with a seven game lead. Um, the Giants once three, four, five game lead is now down to one game over the Dodgers. So, so things are tightening up in some places. Um, things are getting a little less uh, unpredictable in, in some divisions, I guess, but still plenty of potential movement for sure, especially as we head towards the uh, the trade deadline. And we'll, we will talk about that a little bit as well. But overall, I mean, as like three or four straight weeks now, the playoff teams have been pretty similar. Um, so you start to see some of that stabilizing. But let's jump into around the league in 60 seconds. Each of our panelists give their recap of what, what went on this past week of baseball. We talked a little bit about it before heading into seventh inning stretch because I'm going to forget things in seventh inning stretch and our, our panel here will not forget about things. So let's jump into it. We will start with the veteran of sorts, Kelly, your weekly recap. Uh, there's not going to be too much. Uh, the big, uh, the big headlines are Milwaukee sleep, uh, sweeping the Cleveland Reds, Cleveland, the Cincinnati Reds, really extending their lead in the NL Central, really solidifying their first place spot over a Reds team that was getting pretty close to uh, matching them step uh, game by game. In the AL East, Tampa Bay is now just one game behind the Red Sox. Um, I think many expected Tampa Bay to be where they were. Not a lot of people expected the Red Sox to be uh, leading the division. Uh, and I think most interestingly, the one, uh, the one team that might have most repercussions on the rest of the league, Washington's on a six-game losing skid. Uh, in that very competitive, to put it one way, NL East, they're still not completely out of it, but with their assets, with the contracts they have, they might be in a position to finally start trading away some pieces instead of potentially being buyers at the deadline like some expected. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the Nationals especially had been talked about saying, we're not going to rebuild. This is not a team that's prepared to rebuild or sell off. And six-team losing streak starts to hurt that. Uh, it starts to make you at least consider alternative options. Steven, what you got? Um, not much that Kelly didn't say there. Um, I would say, and I probably have to mention the Blue Jays and the Rangers. Blue Jays really killed them. Um, I believe, I think they scored like double digits runs twice and they won, they had a double header today. So they won both of those. Um, one of them, I think was five, nothing. The other one was like 10 to two. They jumped a ton of homers early on. They, they just killed Fulte Nevich. Um, what I think, I don't know how many early on, I thought they had like four total in the game. But uh, including, you know, Vlad Jr., Guriel Springer, I think, had one too. Nice to see him start to finally blow up. Um, I suppose jumping to uh, – I just jumped to my team, I guess. The Cubs um, beat the Dimebacks twice. Yesterday pulled a very improbable victory, ninth inning down one. Um, and two outs, I think. Rafael Ortega had a double. Chirinos had a single. And then Contreras hit it to run homer, capped off a nice three-hit day for him. And, uh, yeah, um, Vlad, I don't know if you want to take the White Sox Astros series or maybe uh or I, I, I don't know. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, very big series, Sox and Astros, probably two of the best teams in the AL. Very probable ALCS matchup. 
Um, and the Sox got swept by him earlier this year, so hoping for some revenge at home. Astros got a less than warm welcome um, by Sox fans, <laughs> as they usually do on the road. But uh, yeah, so they, they killed him first game, uh, some struggles with the bullpen, but Sox really jumped ahead second game. Uh, I believe it was, what was it, 9 to 1 last? I believe it was last time, yeah. 10 to 1. Yeah, 10 to 1 last night. And they beat them 4 to nothing today. Carlos Rodon had a fantastic performance, uh, double digit strikeouts. Um, I believe he came out with one hit um, through a six inning. So just very, or six or seven, I think it was six. So it's a very impressive performance by him. Uh, it's a very, very interesting series going on for sure. It's fun to see the Astros come to town. <laughs> I, I I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. I was there Friday and Saturday, and uh, I, I enjoyed the, the reaction. The first game, I, yeah, the first game must have been just something. I mean, you could hear, like, the bang of the trash can over the broadcast. It was just crazy. People, all three games, though, were loud. Credit to the fans. Yeah. There. That, that was phenomenal. Absolutely. James, what you got? All right. So I'm surprised no one talked about this, but the All-Star game and Home Run Derby were this week. <laughs> uh national league uh because they don't have the dh i think it's karma that they just cannot win an all-star game now because they refuse to have a dh uh home run derby pete alonzo defended his crown and he was phenomenal hitting 35 homers in the first round and i believe he hit 74 the entire night which is insane even at coors field that's just Insane. And then as the uh, week went on, you know, injuries kind of came back. Jacob deGrom is out. First time all year he didn't get hurt swinging a bat, according to him. Francisco Lindor also out for the long run. Uh, Dodgers-wise, Clayton Kershaw's out until at least August. So injuries continuing to be a problem this year. And then as Laz alluded to last night, some scary events in uh, Washington, D.C. I hope everyone involved is okay, doing well. That's just not something you should have to deal with. And big shout out to Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, and Will Myers for opening the gates to let fans into the dugout because even though we may not all be Padres fans or Nationals fans or whatever we are all still baseball fans and shouldn't have to deal with that sort of scary event and And that's well said I I, Dave Roberts had a very similar comment about it he goes there were Fans that were letting in the clubhouse and security asked, are you family of players, assumedly? He goes, no, they, they are family. They're, they're our fans. And, and those are the cool quotes that come out of it. Like I said, the heroes, Dave Roberts, or not Dave Roberts, Dave, yeah. Dave, Dave Martinez. Martinez. Dave Martinez, thank you. Um, Dave Martinez said all of that. Um, but again, cool quotes come out of it, cool heroes. You mentioned um, quite a few of them, James. Um, scary situations that... Uh, again, it's nice to see people come out of it and, you know, again, it's not unexpected heroes because they're baseball players, the kind of heroes for everybody, but at the same time, heroes in unexpected ways, I guess, is how I want to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, which is always nice to see coming out of stuff like this. 
as scary as it can be. And, and certainly our, our well wishes are with everybody who was involved. Let's jump into seventh inning stretch. I will pull up our fancy scoreboard. Fancy is a relative word. Basically, I have minimal art skills. We got a little bit of everything. We got all-star break talk. We've got draft talk. We've got injury talk, unfortunately, because that continues to be necessary. Um, But let's jump right into it. Inning number one, the MLB draft took place last week. We had a live stream for that. We had a live stream for this week in baseball last week, right before that. Um, And now teams are going to start looking into their draftees. What what were your thoughts on the first round? Uh, Who are the biggest surprise picks maybe early on? And who are the biggest steals overall? We will go with Callie. Start us off. Um, a lot of people are going to say Khalil Watson being drafted 16th overall by the Marlins is going to be a surprise, especially since he was considered in the running for that first overall pick by the Pirates. But I would rather choose as the biggest surprise to be Jackson Job to the Tigers. When you look at the Tigers, the one thing they're not lacking in is young pitching with Casey Mize, Spencer Turnbull, uh, other players I'm forgetting. You definitely expected them to to target some position players to shore up their relatively weak uh, farm system when it comes to hitters. But they went with Job, and Job's a good player, but he wasn't expected to go that high he wasn't uh expected to be one of the first pitchers off the board it's a major surprise he went higher than you know kumar rocker just one and he went just one pick after jack Leiter, putting him in some pretty impressive company but the tigers they've been able to get a lot of good stuff out of their pitchers early so far you know casey mice he's been off to a you know not dominant but still a good rookie season a very promising first season and if they can can continue to develop their pitching it's easier to imagine them being successful with a less with a less uh impressive with a less uh stacked uh position player farm steven what do you think um, should I respond to Callie or should I just uh, go off on my own comments? No, Runnerly. go ahead. Whatever you got. All right. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, I, I agree with uh, Callie on Job. Um, I at least understood the position or like the, you know, the pick being or him being picked where he was, um, you know, because he, I mean, he, he was like a definitely probable pick to go to the top 10, you know, and he's, you know, talented high school arms. Those guys, you know, they can be, you know, the, it can be a little noisy about where they're selected. Um, for me, honestly, same division too, and honestly, same reasoning. Mosacato to the Royals at seven was a huge surprise for me. Um, mostly, you know, part partly because of the because uh, of like you know where, where he was ranked beforehand, but also you know the Royals are a team you'd have definitely expected to go hitting, and it's not like you know they, the hitting wasn't flush. You know, they had like Freilich was still on the board, even guys like Montgomery, the guy uh, Benny Montgomery, the guy the um, Rockies selected, and Brady House, although you know position rivalry with Wit, but. I digress. Um, it was a surprise because they have Lacey still on the farm. Lynch, uh, they have. I am just. Oh, they, even you know last year they had Keller performing well. Um, I'm definitely forgetting someone else, and it's killing me right here. But if you guys know it, you can just you can just remind me. But pitching is the one thing they're flushed in. 
And honestly, more so in the Tigers, I'd say the differential between hitters and pitchers in their farm is quite significant. And I thought it was one of the biggest weaknesses they had going into this. And it was, I had similar opinions with the Marlins um, who took two hitters in the first round to who were to who to taken a uh, below where they were expected, which is a win for them. But um, Moser Kato, he's really talented. But again, you know, like the walks were an issue for him before he really killed it this spring. I think he had like a, I think he had like a sub one ERA. I could be wrong, um, but he he was really impressive. So you can definitely understand a team being higher on him. It's just like he was ranked thirty nine on the draft prospects on LB Pipeline, taking him at seven. You know, it's a it's a little bit wide for my liking. James, what do you think? Yeah. So the biggest surprise to me wasn't how high Job was drafted, although that was a surprise, or how high Azacado was drafted. It was how far the high school shortstops fell. I mean, Marcelo Meyer, Jordan Lawler received a lot of buzz to go 1-1. And even Khalil Watson, he was a sleeper pick to go high in the first round. And then Marcelo Meyer gets drafted by the Red Sox. Great pick. Lawler to the Diamondbacks. Great pick, I think. And then Khalil Watson falls all the way to the Marlins. So I'm sure all three of those front offices have to be thrilled that these shortstops just kind of fell to them. You know, I was a little surprised with the uh, Tigers and Royals drafting prep pitchers so high just because of the uh, success rate with prep pitchers is not as high as, say, college pitchers or prep bats even. I just... Don't understand that. And I also think the biggest steal in the draft was Kumar Rocker going to the Mets at 10. The Angels picked a right-handed pitcher ahead of him in Sam Bachman, and they went 20 for 20 for drafting pitchers, and somehow they still decided against Kumar Rocker. So... Kudos to the Mets for picking up someone who, at the beginning of the college baseball season, was in the mix for a 1-1. So, biggest steal in the draft. I I think the, the biggest surprise for me was the fact that the uh, Angels did take 20 pitchers. It's like they just kind of decided, hey, we need pitching. There's got to be an ace in here somewhere, and we're going to figure it out. Um, that was a surprise. I think Rocker was a huge one. And I, I think this year more than maybe years previous, you started to see the impact of bonus pools and under slots really getting, getting into play, even among some of the top picks. Um, and I think as the draft continues to develop, assuming the draft structure stays the same after the CBA and stuff like that, you're going to start to see more and more why people talk about overslot, underslot, why the draft board isn't exactly how the picks end up going and stuff like that. I think maybe just I'm paying more attention to it, um, but I certainly think this year you started to see the impact a, a little bit more than maybe in seasons past. That's just my personal opinion. But Let's continue on with the All-Star break festivities and head into inning two. The MLB Home Run Derby and All-Star Game took place this week, and ratings remain consistent from pre-pandemic times. Simply, did you jo enjoy the events? Uh, what can or should the league do 
in order to continue to make these events worthwhile or to increase their viewership. We will start with Stephen. All right. Um, I was actually in Denver for the All-Star Game and for all the events, which was a ton of fun. Um, court, yeah, Coors is an outstanding stadium to begin with, but I don't know. They handled it really well. It was just, you know, being able to see all that up close. It's, you know, just another, it's just a different experience. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun, obviously. The home run derby, I think a lot of people, people who are disappointed, probably are more so a little bit biased since Otani got out in the first round. And I think everyone was pulling from to at least go to the finals. Um, but there were so many close matchups, all those first round matchups, especially with um, between like, uh, it was like, or on like the, on the, on the other side of the, other side of the uh, bracket, at least with, um, I believe, Olsen dropping round one, which is a little bit uh, surprising. And someone else, I'm forgetting. I'm just, I forget all these matchups way too easily. But a lot of them lasted, like they were between just with one home run, with a one home run differential. Alonzo hitting 35 in a single round was crazy. And Salvi matching him up with almost 30, which, I mean, it, a lot of, I mean, this is just absolutely crazy. And seeing Soto impressed, especially after that, you know, being the eighth seed, not having a lot of home runs this year, kind of struggling to lift the ball. Uh, that was a nice, you know, nice, uh, nice story there. Getting to getting to see him kind of pull through. Um, the All Star game was a lot of fun. That now is absolutely cursed, one hundred percent, no doubt about it. We've lost like eight in a row, I think. I, I honestly haven't kept track, but it's it's been crazy. Um, I mean, obviously the AL's got so much star power. You know, I mean, it's I mean, you know, that one is no surprise, but. It's disappointing. And the Futures game, too, one thing I really want to focus on here, and I don't want to sell anyone's thunder to really – I'm going to touch on this from my uh, from my perspective, um, was Brennan Davis, who was our number two prospect on Pipeline, I believe, sometime, some, some places ranked number one, hit two homers, which was a lot of fun. And uh, the, our one of our pitchers who was um, in there, Manuel Rodriguez, struck out uh, Tyler Soderstrom, um, first-round pick for the A's, right, Cali? Yeah, I think um, – which was just a ton of fun to see, uh, being able to see that up close in person. So I had a lot of fun. I thought it was really exciting. Um, yeah, definitely one of the better ones in recent memory. I'm jealous you were there, though. That's a ton of fun. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was really exciting, especially after the pandemic and everything, being able yeah. to just go out there now. You know, it's, a, it's, an, it's an even better experience. You know, you realize, you know, what, you're, what you were missing you know, right. all that time. James? Steven, I'm surprised I uh, didn't see you there. I was also at the All-Star Game festivities. It was in my hometown of Denver, Colorado, and I'd like to give a quick shout-out to the city for putting on a great festivities. They only had three months to really prepare for this, and I thought, given the short time frame, they did an excellent job. Uh, I enjoyed being at the home run derby and the all-star game itself i thought that the home run derby this year especially was uh was electric everyone just wanted to see the rabbit balls that weren't in the humidor at coors field get launched 500 feet you know the stadium cheering for shohei otani because i can't comprehend what he what he does on a nightly basis. So yeah, let's root for Otani to win the home run derby. It was great, but I talked to people who watched it on TV and they didn't like it as much because they changed the rule where you can pretty much throw the ball as fast as you can now, instead of waiting for it to drop. So it, you're not seeing the players hit the home runs 
you're just seeing, oh, look, here's another home run. You're not seeing them hit it. I think it kind of ruins the TV spectacular event of it, I guess. You know, it's like not every person watching it, the home run derby is going to be there, but you should try and make sure that they are getting the best experience they can. So I would change that rule back. I understand changing it one time for a course field derby where the ball is really going to fly, but next year in Los Angeles, change it back. Balls aren't going to fly as much there. So, and then all-star game was fun. Uh, Got to see Liam Hendricks close it out because half the stadium was empty by that point. Hmm. Uh, So I was able to just get right behind home plate and watch the end of that game and see Vlad Guerrero Jr. get the All-Star Game MVP. First time in Blue Jays history that's happened and the youngest player to ever win that trophy. So pretty cool. Really fun experience. Uh, the only changes I would make would be for the home run derby and then maybe have the draft start the Saturday before, like the first round start the Saturday instead of the Sunday. So you can have the draft and then you can have the futures game. Like they were just kind of competing. They were at the exact same time. So it's not like you could really watch both. But that's fair. Great time. Callie? The All Star Game and Home Run Derby, Home Run Derby specifically, is probably going to be the time outside of the playoffs you're going to get the most non fans or the most casual fans on your product. So I don't think there's a need to make it more meaningful. What I think you need to do is try and draw as many eyes in as possible to highlight the players of the future and the current players that are, you know, going to be your future or your current stars and the players that are going to be your future stars. This year was helped by Otani being in the Derby, something that was uh, a huge media spectacle, just obviously with how much attention he was getting. But in the future, I think you should start to ask some retired players, you know, maybe send invitations to Ken Griffey Jr., Larry Walker, if you want to be even more, if you want to push the envelope a bit more, even maybe like Mark McGuire, start getting some older players back to be in the Derby to not in the Derby, but to have their own sort of legends Derby. So you get more eyes from people who used to follow baseball, but maybe have lapsed in their fandom. You get them to view the product again. You maybe get them to get reinvested in the sport by bringing back their old favorites. And while they're there, you're like, look at all these new players we have. Look at all these new cool and entertaining players we have. And maybe you can get some more people to reignite their fandom for baseball that way. I actually like that idea a lot. Um, I actually, I really enjoy the Roman Derby. All-Star Game is kind of like every year for me. I kind of watch it. I kind of don't. Um I don't know really how you fix that. It is what it is, but yeah, it's funny to hear that half the stadium had already emptied out by the ninth inning. It's like, well, you can't do much about that, but at least traffic wasn't bad. True. It's like it made it worth staying a little bit longer then. So yeah, for sure. 
Inning three, let's jump right into this one. The standoff between the city of Oakland and the Oakland A's continued this week on a new stadium, and it appears ever more likely that the A's may not be in Oakland for much longer. Callie, no surprise, we'll start with you. Is there any hope for a deal? Or is it a lock that the Las Vegas A's are the future? And who's to blame if that is the case? I definitely think that there is going to be increased optimism over the A's remaining in Oakland. On the 20th, there's going to be a vote over uh, the term sheet for a new stadium at Howard Terminal. And the only holdup is that John Fisher is a multi-billionaire who's too penny-pinching to be willing to spend on the required affordable housing that the city of Oakland wants built around Howard Terminal. The A's need a new stadium. I'm not I'm not too much of a homer for the Oakland Coliseum to argue against that as much as I love it. They need a new stadium, but John Fisher has multiple times refused to build a new stadium unless he gets a very friendly deal for his pocketbook. It's insulting to the fans that it's taken this long to get a new stadium built. It's insulting to the fans that there's this discussion over something that should be such an easy remedy as Fisher just paying for the affordable housing, something he very much can. He's a multi-billionaire. It's insulting to the fans that people like Dave Caval are going to Las Vegas, hanging out at Las Vegas Golden Knights games, talking to the city about relocating to Las Vegas and not hiding it at all. And in fact, making statements that talk up how great of a city Las Vegas is. It's insulting to your fan base. It's insulting to the city of Oakland. It's a kick in the teeth watching all this happen. And it all shouldn't be this way. Steven, your thoughts. Um, honestly, pretty similar to Callie on this one. Um, not, I don't think there's like too much really to mix in. I think this is pretty similar to, or at least kind of similar to what the Raiders went through. Um, I don't know. It's, it's tricky for me to do this. It's also, it's tricky for me to talk about this. Um, it's also, you know, being in Chicago, obviously it's a, it's a really big market and everything. And when you look at kind of like, cause baseball has always been really competitive between where markets play. And obviously, you know, like, Oh, like, uh, front offices will change how they approach things. You know, teams will dictate how they approach things, um, in terms like, you know, with all that going on. And, uh, for this, it's kind of like, you know, Oakland's first to kind of get into a, a bigger market, which opens up more opportunities and everything like that. But, you know, at the same time, it's like, you know, there's only so many to go. So there's only so many to go around a lot of it. And sorry for, you know, trying to just sorry for if I'm seeming to diverge off into a, another tangent over here, but I don't know. I, I feel like it's the most unique way for me to talk about it. It's kind of like, you know, the death of the small market a little bit, how would, you know, like if, how, how are things going to change? Because, you know, other teams would try, probably try to approach this. I know they were like, you know, with the Rays in Montreal, as they were talking about that a few years ago, like, you know, how would teams kind of approach this sort of, you know, with, when, when opportunity arises for larger markets, if they eventually run out, like, you know, how would, how would that differential be made up? Cause it's probably going to become worse as it goes on or at least uh, teams, larger markets would catch up to that kind of, or, and be able to merge how smaller markets um, approach things with their larger 
with their larger pockets, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're, it's a better spot for, you know, players for, for free agents, how they would kind of fight about that. Um, so I don't know. It, it's, it's kind of sad to see another, you know, kind of death of a small market here if it really goes through. Um, and for me, it kind of just echoes in that, you know, this might, this is probably just going to be the beginning of it, or at least it very well could be. James. Uh, so I think that the A's should stay in Oakland. First off, it is where they have played for over half a century. They have a dedicated fan base there. And for the MLB's sake, it keeps Las Vegas as an expansion city because it would be cheaper to move Oakland the Oakland days to Las Vegas and it would be to get an expansion team. So would you rather receive that revenue from a, t- a small market team moving or a new team coming into the league in about a decade or so? I don't know what the actual timetable for expansion is, but that's a, that's certainly something to consider if you're Rob Manfred. I think John Fisher 100% is to blame for this mess. He bought the team, I believe, in 2005. And they needed a new stadium in 2005. And since then, he's just been kind of dwaddling like, oh, we need a new stadium, but I'm not going to pay for it. Like, the people of Oakland aren't buying what he's selling. And he hasn't really, I don't think he's really tried to stay in Oakland. Like, this is his best try in what 16 years of him owning the team we know he's uh cheap for a uh, more harsh word than what callie callie said he's he's cheap i mean marcus Semyon, hometown player wanted to stay with the a's and they gave him less than market value like he is known to be cheap so it's not a surprise when i see that he's asking other people to pay for this stadium. So he's completely to blame. I think honestly, he should just sell the A's. I don't know. It's not that easy to just say, sell the team, but it's clear. He is not invested in putting a winning product on the field because he's not going to pay stars and he's not going to pay for a new stadium, which this team needs and has needed for 16 years it's i am glad the mlb is finally stepping in and saying look john you need to take care of this because it has been too long for him to just say well i tried no you didn't try john you didn't try to get a new stadium and that's why he wants to move to vegas because it's an easy cop out it's a bigger market and it's just ridiculous so you should sell the team or move like i don't think anyone in oakland is gonna want to put up with his bs anymore i don't know what callie thinks about that i'm sure she agrees but just sell the team bud it's clear you don't want to own them I think the biggest thing is you hope all of this, some of what Callie had mentioned to you, hope it's all kind of negotiation 101. You know, you go to Las Vegas, you talk about it up, you hype it up, and you hope that that 
forces the city of Oakland's hand in, in this case. And that that's the devil's advocate side of things. Like, yeah, it sucks that they're going to Las Vegas and, and hanging out at Golden Knights games and stuff like that. You're just hoping at the end of the day, that's what the lawyers say to do. Like, hey, you should go here. Make it seem like you're super serious about this. Um, you see a similar situation in a different sport right now with the Chicago Bears, like talking about moving to Arlington. Like the the uh, Bears ownership being like, well, the city of Chicago should take this very seriously. Like we are very seriously considering this bid and yada, yada. And you kind of hope that for as unfortunate as this is for fans, that it, it becomes a negotiation ploy and the, the A's find themselves in Oakland for years to come. Because I actually really like James's point about, you know, Major League Baseball would rather probably put an expansion team in Las Vegas than they would the Oakland A's. So more to come on this probably next week since the vote is on the 20th. Let's jump to inning number four, though. Jacob deGrom will head to the injured list again with forearm tightness and will not throw again until the pain goes away, according to Mets manager Luis Rojas. Does this latest injury... Steven, hurt DeGrom, Cy Young, and or MVP chances? It's um, it's difficult to say because I don't know. I, I haven't found a definite timeline for what they expect. I mean, I, you know, obviously, you know, pretty sure or they think it's short term because it's flared up before. Obviously, you saw that started out against the Cubs, which was on pace to probably be one of the best of the year. Um, was cut three innings short because the, you know kind of flared up and it didn't really hurt him. Obviously, after that, he's still been killing it this year. But now it's like to the point where they're like, all right, you know, we'll just take it easy, give it, a, give it a bit of a rest. And with the past flare-ups, it's get it's it's shown to be a more consistent issue, which for me is more scary than if it were just you know kind of like a just a couple of things happening here and there. You know, it shows there's something wrong. And even if it's a little bit, you know, if it goes on over time, it can it can really. Eat, I can't really, uh, you know, eat out of players' uh, health um, for the long term. So for me, obviously, the level of play is still there. What's really concerning is just the consistency of the injury. I think it's happened more than once, too. I know the Cubs star was one, but I think it's been a recurring issue for him. And although it hasn't hurt him yet, you know, it's just how this just you know how long will keep him out of games rather than how will it affect him during games for me. Kelly, your thoughts. DeGrom is still heads and shoulders the best pitcher in baseball on a pure rate basis. His FIP is a full one run better than his next closest competition, Zach Wheeler. Wheeler is DeGrom's biggest competition for the NL Cy Young. But despite there being an about 30 innings difference between DeGrom and Wheeler, DeGrom still has a, the advantage in war. It's an interesting conversation, but with how dominant DeGrom has been on a rate basis, all I think DeGrom needs to do is qualify for the ERA title in order to win the uh, NL Cy Young. I think that the, that the second place vote is going to be split between Kevin Gossman and Zach Wheeler uh, significantly enough that it might capsize Zach Wheeler's chances to win the NL Cy Young, even if uh, he does compete with DeGrom for some first place votes. James. I think this latest injury takes him out of the MVP race. 
you need to have a special season if you are a pitcher to win the Cy Young. And then you need to have one of the greatest seasons of all time to win the MVP as a pitcher. Uh, it's only happened once since they lowered the mound. And Clayton Kershaw, he did miss time in 2014, but I don't know how much more time Jacob deGrom is going to miss. So I can't write in stone Jacob deGrom 2021 NL MVP. I am still confident he will win the Cy Young Award just because he is head and shoulders the best pitcher in the National League this year. Kevin Gossman, I think, is number two, but he's he has a way lower ERA and FIP than Kevin Gossman. So nothing against Gossman there, even though he does play for the rival Giants. He's having a great year, but DeGrom's just been better. And like Callie said, if DeGrom cal- uh, qualifies for the ERA title, he should easily win the Cy Young. I just don't think he'll win the MVP anymore. I think that's fair. I think MVP was always going to be a stretch as it is. Um, and this kind of adds to it, you know. It, it's hard if you're not on the field for as often as possible to win an award like that. Um, Cy Young, I do still think is very much his, but hopefully the, uh, Palm beach Cardinals, uh, don't have to worry about a DeGrom, uh, IL, uh, rehab stint anytime soon. Cause that was great the first time, but I'm sure they don't want a second one, but hopefully DeGrom is healthy sooner rather than later. Uh, cause it's been a phenomenal season. Inning five, speaking of injured stars, the twins are looking to sign Byron Buxton to a long-term deal. However, if they don't come to terms on an agreement, he's likely to be traded. What kind of return could we expect to see for the Twins if for Buxton if this deal doesn't go through? And on the flip side, what would his extension look like? Kelly, your thoughts. Buxton, he's extremely interesting right now. He is 27, but he has just one season with more than 100 games played in like five or six years of being in the majors. He is extremely good during that 100 during that uh, season where he played more than 100 games, and he has been very good in the small sample sizes he's gotten to play in before he has been injured. But it's not. It, his injuries to this point have become a legitimate concern. It's not like he's a young prospect who's maybe had one long-term injury and a few short-term stuff that has cost him maybe a, uh, you know 50 games a season or not 50 games, maybe like 30 games a season. It's a trend, and it's a long one. A lot of his value also comes from his defense, which if he continues to be injured, could well disappear quickly. His offense has always been on the verge of being good, but as I said, he's 27. He's about to hit his prime, but that prime isn't going to last long, both because of injuries and because of his current age. He doesn't draw a lot of walks. He strikes out a significant amount which gives you a lot of concern for his long-term viability offensively. Since 2018, he has put together um, a handful of half seasons that are reminiscent of 
uh, better reminiscent of Francisco Lindor with the good defense, about 120 uh, WRC plus. Thing with Lindor is that his offense is more long-term viable because of his ability to make contact, whereas Buxton is reliant on his power. I think that Buxton has such a precarious player profile with this combination of injury and where he gets his production from that I don't think he's going to have a lot of interest on the market because I don't think a long-term extension is going to be in the cards for him for a lot of teams. But he's still proven that he is good enough to have a significant asking price that I don't think a lot of teams are going to be willing to meet. If we're looking at a contract extension, the only thing I can think of is similar to Lorenzo Cain with the Brewers when he got uh, $80 million for five years. It's a little undermarked. It's way undervalued if Buxton can stay healthy, but if he can stay healthy is an is extremely huge if. It's an Empire State Building size if. James? I think Buxton's going to be traded this offseason. Uh, I don't know what the prospect return would be because how often do you have a player like Byron Buxton come on the market? He was starting to put it together this year and then got hurt and is, is still hurt, you know, and that just adds to the mountain of injuries that he's had to deal with. I could see a team like San Francisco maybe trading for him. I don't think they would, but a team with a deep prospect pool, I could definitely see maybe talking themselves into, okay, let's trade for this bat and this glove and sign them to maybe like a three-year, $60 million extension. I think that would be more than fair for both sides, new team and Buxton. I just don't know where he would go. If he were to stay with the twins, I would think he would command five years, a hundred million. And that's where I think the twins would just say, see you later, buddy. I, I just don't see him say, staying there. If he turned down their first offer, which I believe was seven years, 70 million. I think he believes he is worth much more than that. And he does. I, I think he likes the long-term security because again, he's had injury issues that, but I don't think he will stay with the twins. I don't think that's a high enough number for him on an average annual value basis. So I think he will be traded and get somewhere between three to six for 60 or five and a hundred from a new team. Steven, your thoughts. Um, it's hard for me not to look at this or not to compare this to the Joey Gallo situation as well. You know, you got two premium outfielders who have one extra year of control left. Um, you know, it's big names on the trade market, especially it's, it's quiet at the deadline. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of exacerbated for Gallo, but these are still two very good players who would definitely get a lot of attention 
Um, the difference is that Gallo's his player profile is more cemented. You know, he swing, you know, he, he strikes out a lot, he swings and misses a lot, but he he is extremely patient. He walks a lot, and when he does hit the ball, he really he hits it hard enough to where it just keeps the keeps the uh, weight on, keeps the Wobicon, Babbitt, whatever he is, keeps it up, keeps him strong. Um, so he's and he's got great defense. You look at Buxton, and his is very interesting. You know, we've seen kind of the guys who don't walk a lot, who but who don't walk a lot. You know do well you know like perez is kept in a decent hitting profile the last two seasons Baez, um Baez has done it for since like 2018 i said very bad 2022 anderson's done it but uh but for him um it's he's got you know obviously with the with the way smaller samples you know you look at like how how viable 400 iso is to keep up you know as insane numbers this year probably would have gone on a downtrend and the health is still a major concern when you look at all of that. And obviously, as some stuff that Gal doesn't provide, I think his fielding is noticeably better. Even so, I think he's you know he's faster. He's extremely toolsy, but you know again, um, the health is going to be a major concern. And I think that's going to really hurt the Twins, who aren't in a good situation already. You know, their team is on a downtrend. Their farm system has been struggling. They're in a division with four teams that are likely to be trending upwards while they're while they may trend downwards in the next few years um it definitely it definitely hurts their ability to be able to deal buxton or at least to deal him well or in to extend him too because they they haven't really notoriously been a team that's going to hand out a contract that buxton may want or like you know that they may wiggle down to like a bigger market can so although i still think they can get a big return for him i think a lot of teams are going to question the health they're going to question the viability. They're going to question the reliability of his numbers this season, which we're going to get a bigger sample when he returns from that fractured hand. I think he had. Um, so we're going to, you know, we're going to see those numbers kind of calm down or see where they are at the end of the year. Hopefully, if he has a healthy end of the seat, end of the stretch. But again, you know, that's it's just a lot to ask for for a guy who's working in such small sample size and who has produced in those small samples, but to a degree that a lot of people would say is not um, producible long term or is not reliable. There's not a good comparison point to someone like Buxton. That that is a very big problem. I mean, Gallo's close because of the years of control, um, the outfielder profile, but no one with his sort of injury history um, has really ever come up on this point. It's hard to. It's going to be hard for the Twins to find either a trade partner or some sort of extension value that both properly accounts for the risk associated, but also accounts for the reward of having Buxton on the field. I, I think no matter which way you turn, you're probably going to get under the value you want for him on the trade market. And at the same time, not enough, or feel like you're overpaying, I guess, for the amount of value you're going to get on the field if he can't stay healthy. Uh, so weird situation for the Twins. I think it'll be an interesting piece to both the trade deadline as, as well as the offseason. Uh, if they don't trade him in season. So let's jump into inning number six though, and talk about that trade deadline that I just mentioned. We haven't seen much movement on the trade front yet. Um, much of it likely had to do with the fact that, you know, the June draft just occurred as well as we talked about this last week, a lot of sellers in the market, not a lot of buyers. Um, kind of leads to the trade de deadline that we're at right now. James, do you expect any big moves this July? And what's one deal, whether big or not, that you very likely expect to be made? 
I expect the Cubs to sell off their bullpen. It's especially with Craig Kimbrell. I think he has a player option next year, which he'll decline probably. So Craig Kimbrell definitely getting moved. Same with Andrew Chafin having a great year. Ryan Tapera having a great year. Those guys are going to get moved. And I think the Houston Astros are going to get one of those three players. And I think the San Diego Padres will also get one of those three players. I don't know which one of the three, probably whoever's cheapest. If that's what Jim Crane, if Jim Crane decides he wants to buy. Uh, And then I expect San Diego to just do something. (laughs) Trader AJ likes to, uh, tinker with his team a lot so they're going to do something and i think they're going to trade for one of the cubs bullpen guys they're their starters they have a low starter era but they don't throw a lot of innings and that's going to become an issue in october when you're facing the likes of the dodgers and the giants and you need guys to go deep so I think San Diego is going to get a bullpen guy from the Cubs. And I think the Astros will get a bullpen guy from the Cubs. Also, Chris Bryant will not be traded. There's my bold take. You still need fans to go to games in September. <laughs> so he will not be traded. We'll go to the Cubs fan. Steven, your thoughts on either that or the trade deadline in general? I'm sure I'm going to definitely jump to the Cubs because they're definitely going to be the most intriguing team. They have so many free agents that are due. The guys that James mentioned, also Javier Baez, Anthony Rizzo, um, Wilson Contreras in a season. Uh, They had their starting pitching, you know, Zach Davies, who's been struggling this year, but not bad enough where you won't get at least something for him from someone who maybe wants to, with a chief starting pitcher option. Um, But really for me, I think the big thing is Kimbrell because Kimbrell's option next year is actually a vesting option. And the only way it's going to vest is if he pitches in 92 games this year, which I don't even think is possible if they pitch him every game the rest of the season. So then it would be a team option. Team option for $60 million for a Craig Kimbrell, who I think has had, like, who's been top 10 in so many stats since, like, in the stack, in the stack cast era for early pitchers in the first half. He's been absolutely phenomenal. You know, vintage, vintage Kimbrell is what you're going to hear from a lot of Cubs fans. And it's accurate. His ERA is, I think, like sub 0.6 in like 30 innings or so it's, it's been a sight to see. Um, and that team option kind of entices the pot. Cause you don't know, cause you don't know how teams are going to, if teams are going to want to treat him as a rental or how the, how that's going to differentiate between how the Cubs view him. Because obviously if he's going to be viewed as, you know, to your option, a two year guy, it's going to bring more, um, more enticing uh, pieces back to the Cubs. Uh, so that's one thing I'm still kind of mixed on, but they could absolutely trade him in Houston. Definitely does need a bullpen arm. Um, it, it definitely, they're not, they have definitely a lot of options and even Chafin, who's like on like a 23 inning scoreless streak or something, one BRA around 1.5, probably not going to bring as much back as Kimbrell, but again, another desirable option for any team seeking a bullpen arm. Laz, I know you've, I don't know, I don't know how you view the Sox as bullpen going to this point, but I think they could definitely use one to bolster that depth when yeah. you're making a playoff run. Um, one thing I think that's going to be, and this is kind of my hot take. I think they will trade Brian. I think they're going to keep Baez. 
Um, and they were talking about this too, that they're going to try to lock up Rizzo and Baez before keeping them in the trade talks. But if you look at it to the market for shortstops is not that huge. I know the athletics, Cali, I, I know that they've been kind of, I know Andrews, they've been kind of struggling with him, but um, again, it's uh, like the, I thought like the Cubs have always viewed Baez as kind of a long-term asset. He's been, I, I think his peaks recently have been more appealing than Brian's and this isn't any, you know, I'm not trying to, not trying to diminish Brian's impact in any way. But, you know, uh, he's he's younger. He's been healthier. Bryant's been injured in stretches. And although he's played, he's played through it, guys so tough. Um, they've showed him the numbers. And it, it's, and the shortstop too is a long, more of a long-term, not really a long-term, but more of a short-term weakness to the Cubs than maybe the outfield, as we saw, you know, Ian Hampton pretty well last season. They have Brandon Davis coming up um, in third base even they could survive with David Bodie whereas I don't know who they could survive a shortstop with for the long term except for moving Nico Horner which I don't think they jumped to be doing uh so I think that keeping by is probably appealing more long term he'll still keep fans in the seats he's so you know he's he's really flashy player he's gonna he he's very popular among Cubs fans you know he was really popular too even he was on the show cover just a few years ago which tells you a lot of what you need to know uh so I would probably guess that um i want to speak one thing i too on chris bryan up and going on a little bit of a long time but i'd say if you're gonna think of a trade somewhere i'm gonna go a little bit outside the box here and i think the other team in new york the yankees would be an interesting fit for him and obviously it's dependent upon how good the yankees do they got some they got a series against philadelphia i have to finish a series against the red sox they got another series against the red sox it's difficult especially being near 500 like they are but they have a huge outfield hole for him and he's been playing around everywhere this year he had a stretch where he didn't play third base for like a month um, cause I just didn't need him to. And with like Castro being injured now too, Hicks has been injured. Hicks major for the year. Gardner has been underperforming really your rock out there is judge. And, uh, you know, cause, and possibly, I don't know how they've been playing first base, but you know, I think they got Stan over there DH mostly. Um, so they, they definitely have the need, uh, if they, if they would go for it for Chris Bryant to fill some of those outfield holes, should they start, you know, heating up at the deadline and they have the farm to do it for sure. Kelly, your thoughts. I'm less interested in the trade value of specific players and more so the health of the overall market. I think the reason we're seeing such a stagnant market so far is because there's aren't a lot of teams with a lot of windows that are closing or teams that maybe do have windows closing. It's not on the verge of being slammed shut. The only team that's really like that is the Cubs. But even then in the NL Central, it's not out of the question that if they have a strong second half, they could very well be in contention again. Another thing I think it is is that the the bad teams, they don't have a lot of assets. Like the Tigers, who do you really want to trade from them? Gregory Soto, uh, the Orioles, who's going to be traded from them? Trey Mancini, Paul Fry, they're... They're good players, but they're not headliners. They're not going to turn the fortune of a team. It's very interesting. Be uh, and a major, major issue is the parity of the NL East, to put it one way. I mean, as I said, the, the Nats, they're on that six-game skid, but they're still only six and a half games out on that skid, and they have a, one, a terrible roster. There's just not a lot of teams with 
very clear futures. The teams that do have clear futures uh, that teams that do have clear futures either don't have a lot of assets to sell or the teams that do have clear futures are already leading their division. They're already looking to buy, but there's not a lot to buy. For a trade that I think is going to happen, I'm convinced that Joey Gallo is gone from the Texas Rangers. And I think the one place that he's got really got a good chance of landing is the New York Yankees. The Yankees, they have the outfield to pay. They have they have the the need in in the outfield, but more importantly, they have the they have the farm system to make a trade work. Gallo, he's got a high value because he's good. He's got some years of control left, and I think that's what's going to be the difference maker in making him end up on the Astros on the Yankees, because there are teams in baseball with needs in the outfield. The A's. Uh, the uh, the Nats, uh, Atlanta. Now that uh, Acuna's gone, but I think only the Yankees, and of course it's the Yankees, are the team that can afford Gallo's price tag. It's my favorite time of year. Truthfully, it's <clears throat> let Let's see what random uh, trades get thrown out by fans on Twitter. Time of year. Uh, that's always a fun time, and I don't know. It, it's been a slow deadline, and we're, what, 13 days away, less than two weeks. So the, the, we're, we should be seeing some movement sooner rather than later. Um, you know, you guys mentioned a lot of the common names that are likely on the move. Uh, we'll see what happens. It's a very difficult market to gauge right now, as Kelly alluded to. It's trying to figure out who's worthwhile to people and, you know, who's – really looking to top which offer for which player, uh, it's still very hard to figure out right now. So we'll see what the next couple weeks bring. But let's end here with inning number seven. Fact or fiction is usually like the fourth one. Now it's number seven. Fact or fiction, you're a fan of the Mets' black alternate jerseys that they're bringing back. Let's start with hmm, James. Yes. On one condition, <laughs> they have two road or they have two blue alternate jerseys. Get rid of the one that says New York. It, it's not a good look. Blue, the just get rid of it. It's replace it with the black jersey. I mean, one of the greatest moments in New York Mets history happened with Robin Ventura hitting the grand slam single to walk it off in the NLCS against the Braves. Happened in that jersey, like. A whole generation of Mets fans grew up watching the Mets wear black. So I love this move. Uh, why not? The Mets are a, are a popular team. And why not try and stir up some nostalgia? Like, oh, this is the jersey that Mike Piazza wore when he was here. Tom Glavin, Pedro Martinez, uh, Jose Reyes. I know I'm for getting other names, David Wright. You know, here are some franchise legends who wore this jersey, and now we are wearing it again. I think it's a great move. I love the black jerseys. So I am all for their return. Kelly? I'm a big fan of it for one reason. It's an alternate jersey that's not powder blue. <laughs> <laughs> How many teams have powdered blue alternate jerseys now? Like six? Too many. 
Yeah. It's a really good point. Baseball needs more unique uniform colors. Uh, we're starting to get more of that now with the Padres return to brown, uh, with the Miami Vice-like Marlins jerseys. Uh, but still, overall, there's way too many blues. There's way too many reds. It's uh, the rainbow that is baseball's uniforms hasn't changed a lot. And they all draw from very similar palettes. So let's think right now. How many teams have black uniforms? The Rockies, the Marlins, and uh, the uh the uh, Diamondbacks have black alternates, if I remember correctly, too. That's not a lot of teams. So, so do the like, uh, Pirates and Giants. Don't mean to interrupt. Thank but. you. Thank you. So, th- so that's five teams out of 30. That It's good that another team is adding a, another not very often used color to their ranks. We need more color. We need more pop. Uniforms are a very underrated way of marketing the game. You get good-looking uniforms, people buy them. People start wearing them outside. People notice. People look up those uniforms. People look up the teams. People look up players. It's a knock-on effect that I think we haven't seen much very... We haven't seen much recently because there haven't been many uniform changes recently. And Steven? Um, Honestly, I'm I'm a fan as well. Um, Kelly, I think you made an excellent point for me. I think it's going to look good. Just, you know, I just with a lot of these old uniforms, bringing them back and seeing players now wear them, I think it kind of adds like a whole new aura about them. I think it's like, you know, more intriguing when you see Pete Alonzo rep an old uniform, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it's difficult to describe, you know, the exact feeling, but you know, you just, it's just kind of, it's, it's nice to see, you know, it, it kind of turns your head a little bit. And I think, um, you know, them going with this throwback is definitely a great way to kind of bring fans back into the culture or the old culture of the Mets. But it's just a great way to just see, you know, just to bring it back to the to the new era. You know, it's just seeing all these guys because, you know, you've seen Mets legends wear it all the time. That's how you see it. All, that's how you see it often. But, you know, you're going to see Pete Alonso. You're going to see Francisco Lindor. You're going to see Jacob DeGrom wear them. Um, you know, hopefully in the in the dugout, maybe. Uh, you're going to see a lot of these, you know, great Mets now. Um wear these jerseys, it's going to be, it, it kind of adds a whole new perspective about them. And it's a great feeling. Um, and one, and I, I also, I would like to mention that I'm just a, a huge fan of the piping, the piping, the blue piping on these jerseys is immaculate. You know, piping is just so underrated, so underutilized these days. I just wanted to bring it, bring, bring some attention to it. it. It looks great. I'm a huge fan of them as well. Personally, I'm glad to bring them back. Uh, I, I have quite a few Mets fans, friends who are, quite excited um i didn't know was that it was possible to be that excited over a jersey um but you know i i think it's the history of it that you guys speak to that's the big part of it um callie congratulations on a close victory she comes in after months off and all of a sudden just takes another victory so it's like i'm uh it's like i'm salvador perez or buster posey taking some time off come back stronger than ever you know, we don't talk about that. We don't, we, we don't do that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that should uh, count against her total. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I agree I'll Basically. give that one some thought. You might have just lost it uh, r- retroactively. <laughs> Let's start rounding it out here. What to watch for this week. 
each of our three panelists here will talk about what they're going to be watching, whether it's a specific player, a specific game, a specific matchup, why they think it's important, and why they think you should be watching for it this week. We're going to start with the winner. Callie, what you got? Um, there's a three-game series. I think it's a three-game series. I might be wrong. But there's a series coming up between the Oakland A's and the Seattle Mariners that's could have very big playoff implications because right now the Mariners are three and a half games back of the A's in the in the AL wildcard race. But more importantly than that, we're getting brief glimpses of the Mariners' bright future. They recently recalled uh, Jared Kelnick. They called up Cal Raleigh. Uh, Logan Gilbert's in the majors. He's doing good. They're all very exciting. They're all very electric players. They're all key pieces to the Mariners' very bright future. And I think that we're going to, that this series can be a preview of a matchup that's going to be a long, long one that's going to stretch into the future between the A's and this core of Mariners players. It's a very good point. Steven. Uh, for me, it's going to be the Yankees. Uh, Yankees, you know, they've been kind of struggling all year, been kind of off and on, still winning team, 47-44. But again, you know, you didn't expect the Yankees to be 500 at this time. And the deadline, you know, as we're nearing the deadline, you know, it's, there's questions about their playoff hopes, especially with the AL East, the Blue Jays killing it, the Red Sox killing it, the Rays killing it. A lot of teams in the AL are just doing so well. You know, you wonder if they'll be left in the dust. But this matchup against the Red Sox, um, Obviously, they took last night. They're winning right now. And they got one up against the Phillies where they faced the Red Sox again. So, you know, being able to come into or being able to face Philly, maybe beat the Red Sox, taking some momentum early on. And then as we kind of look into that Red Sox matchup later, you know, at the end of this week, and they got one even against the Rays afterwards, seeing how they take some momentum, if they are even able to capitalize, if they capitalize on it, if they even have any momentum going into it, I think it's going to be super interesting to watch because every week is mattering more and more or this Yankees team making it into the playoffs. I would agree with that. James? Wow, uh, I'm surprised no one mentioned this, but the two best teams in Major League Baseball will play seven games in the next 10 days, the Dodgers and the Giants. This stretch is going to decide who, if the Do well, really, if the Dodgers win the division, if the Giants pull away, because I think both teams are playoff teams. The NL is just too weak. So these next seven games between these two teams, I think, will decide who wins the division. Sorry, Padres. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good matchups, actually, this week. You bring up a couple good rivalries here. A lot of good interdivision rivalries that are going to be coming up across all the divisions. Um it's going to be an interesting week as we get to our first full week post All-Star break. But that's going to do it for us for this episode of This Week in Baseball, presented by Diamond Digest. You know where to find us, website diamond-digest.com. All three of our panelists here have had plenty of writing come out, and we'll have more coming, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. Make sure to tune in there. Twitter, at diamond underscore digest. Instagram, diamond.digest. We love our different punctuation marks in all of our different places. For James Darcheski, Stephen Pappas, and Callie Side, this is Jordan Lazowski signing off. Take care. Make sure to tune with, in with us every week. And have a great one. We'll see you back here next time. Take care.